Well, this last week, uh, I spent a little bit of time trying to get our garden ready for winter. Uh, I'm a little late. Some people would even say that winter has begun, though the weather outside isn't really making that clear most days. Uh, but I want to tell you a little bit more background on my garden preparedness. Uh, I am late getting it ready for winter, and uh, well, I was way late getting it ready for summer, too. Actually, I never got it ready for summer. Um, I meant to plant some tomatoes and some herbs, some other vegetables in it. This is it, by the way. <laughs> and something about this spring, you know, I just never really got around to it. And so I have this really lovely weed garden. Or I guess you could say that it's, it's a stray grass garden. Uh, it's pretty overgrown. So my winterizing plan for my garden actually involves recapturing the garden itself. I have to tackle it and reclaim it and I guess put it in its place or whatever you do with gardens. I've learned that there are a lot of master gardeners in Lafayette, Indiana. I am not one of them. But I, I realize that winterizing the garden means recapturing it so that I can make room for what is going to grow next season when I am absolutely going to remember to plant something. I promise. But it did, did get me thinking about, you know, the Bible is full of these gardening metaphors. And the metaphors that the Bible uses for gardening are not all that different than what I'm going to do in our yard. Because the first step to get ready for what will one day grow there is first to let go of what is already growing there. So last year at this time, I was cutting down tomato plants and jalapeno plants. And this year, it's grass. But it's basically the same thing. The first step in getting ready for what's next is first to let what was die and then clear it away. And it's the same way that the Bible talks about gardening as a metaphor for God's work. It always includes this step. Sometimes, in order for something new to grow, something old has to die. Except we don't always see death as a pathway to life. We don't always believe that there is a pathway there. But we're going to hear in our scripture today in the book of Isaiah exactly that. That sometimes new life requires a little bit of pruning. So let's listen to our two scriptures today that come from two separate passages in the book of Isaiah. I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded rotten grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge. 
and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his cherished garden. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. We jump to chapter 11. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what is his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. May God bless this reading. Well, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about prophets in the Bible sense that prophets don't see the future. Rather, they see the present through the lens of God's faithfulness and God's promises. They notice patterns in which the people are not doing what they are supposed to be doing. And through that knowledge, they announce God's coming judgment. Now, that judgment always comes with a word of hope. Yes, they say, the present and near future will be tough, but that doesn't mean God is gone. Rather, God is still at work. And so the first several chapters of the book of Isaiah begin with a series of judgments. The people have strayed. They have neglected the covenant this is everything from worshiping other gods, from making alliances with other nations, especially in the time of Isaiah, it's neglecting the poor and the vulnerable. And so God communicates through the prophet that it is a time for change, that God wants to do a new thing. Now, this passage made me think a little bit about earlier in the Bible, if you go back to uh, the first time that God wanted to make a change, we all know in Genesis there's the story of, of Noah in the flood. We've heard this story before. God looks at creation and, and is upset with how it has grown wicked, how it has grown to be unjust. And so God wants to make a change. And God destroys humanity. God chooses a faithful servant, Noah, tells him to take two of every animal and his entire family onto an ark because God has decided it is time to start over. We all remember that story. But how does that story end? God promises not to do it again. God says, I will never again destroy all of creation. Which does not mean that creation does not at some times grow wicked that we do not find ways to use and abuse one another, that we do not find ways to neglect the promises of God. And so God has this process in which instead of destroying and starting over, God begins this other way of interacting with us. 
God chooses a people, the Israelites, to be the bearers of God's relationship with creation. And then they get everything right forever and ever and never wander away from the covenant again. It all works out. Or not. They drift away, just like we are all prone to drifting away. And God is faced with the question of how to bring them back. Remember, God's not going to destroy them again. God will not destroy us again when we wander. But the metaphor that the Bible begins to use is this gardening metaphor. This metaphor is God as a gardener pruning a vineyard. There are parts of the vineyard that need to be removed, parts which have become overgrown, parts that while they may have at once created something good, are now past their point of usefulness and need to be trimmed back. So this is how God deals with those parts of our lives that have grown estranged. God is not going to destroy you. God instead prunes us, allowing the wild parts to die in order that something new can grow. And in the book of Isaiah, we even get an image of what this work will leave, lead to. Once this pruning has taken place, room will be made for something new to grow, a shoot from the root of Jesse. Maybe it doesn't have the room to grow right now. Maybe what is coming doesn't have the space to breathe yet. But once some pruning has happened, it will be allowed to flourish. Just like your garden and my garden at home. Cut some things back so that what will be new can grow. And this is very much how God works with us. It's like planting a vineyard. It produces good fruit in its time, but it will need to be cut back eventually. Even things which at a time were good will one day die. And so when we're talking about transformation, whether it be ours personally or the church's, sometimes it's easier to not talk about what we ought to add, but rather to talk about what we ought to let go of. Because it is in letting go that new growth is given space. But again, we don't always think about death as a pathway to growth. We think of growth as addition, as adding things to our lives. Except when we garden. We all know that when you garden, cutting back things is how you get them to grow, how you get them to emerge. That it encourages growth. And so scripture wants us to take that metaphor and apply it to our spiritual lives. What needs to die within us? What pruning needs to happen? So I was listening to a podcast recently about the church. It was actually recorded at the General Assembly of the Disciples of Christ back earlier this summer. And it's a conversation between Lauren Richmond Jr., host of the Future Christian Podcast, and Jeff Mitchell, who is the senior pastor of Lindenwood Christian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and a former church planner. You know, Mitchell, for what it's worth, has become one of the better known practitioners of church revitalization. 
So really his call is he either plants new churches in new ways or he goes into historic churches and tries to bring about positive change, helping churches adapt to the future. And so Mitchell in, his, in this interview talks about his love for disciples. Um, he grew up in the church, received his call to ministry at a church camp, went to Texas Christian University, the flagship seminary of the disciples or flagship college of the disciples of Christ uh, and the team that beat Baylor yesterday in football. <laughs> he then attended Bright Divinity School Again, a proud disciples school. He even, he said in the podcast, he's not just a TCU fan. He said that he hosts a podcast about TCU football. That he's one of those people who wears purple everywhere he goes. And he even says in the podcast that he believes that our theology as disciples is incredibly important in the world right now. What I'm saying is he's not just kind of a disciple. He's not just kind of a believer in the church. He is somebody who has put so much of his own skin in the game. But then at the very end of the podcast, the host asks him, what are some things you hope for the disciples of Christ? And he answers, I hope we let some things die. There are things that just need to come to an end. And then he gives an example that caught me off guard, and I, I even feel like nervous saying this right now. He says, church camp is dying. Church camp is dying. I've got to tell you, I didn't do a lot of church camp when I was a kid. Uh, there are actually a whole bunch of youth ministers that are shocked that I'm here today because <laughs> I was barely involved with church before college. But I started going when I was in my 20s, and I realized that church camp is one of those places where a lot of folks' faith stories begin. Mitchell himself shares that many of his closest friends were made at church camp. Um, I've heard stories of people who went to camp as a kid and received the call into ministry, folks who gave their life to Christ in front of the campfire. Fred Craddock, maybe one of the best-known disciples of the last hundred years, received his call to ministry at Bethany Hills, the campsite just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Why does it need to die? And what Mitchell says is maybe it's run its course. Here in Indiana, we sold one of our campsites a few years ago, Camp Barbie, because the cost of maintaining it was too high. Mitchell says nothing lasts forever. Now Mitchell clarifies in this conversation, and I will as well, he's not saying we should go around and close every camp. In fact, if somebody today came to us and said they wanted to go to camp, I guarantee you we would find the money to do it. He's not saying that this needs to be ended right now. But what he is saying is something I think all people of faith in the U.S. need to realize. We may be in a season of death. We may be in a season of pruning. And that's okay. That would be a problem if we didn't have a whole bunch of stories in the Bible using the imagery of a garden being pruned by God. 
But we have this entire scripture that testifies to a God who often changes us by calling on parts of our life to die. We are in a season of pruning. And I wonder if we can just be okay with that. If you're involved in the church at all, you know that things simply are not what they were like 50 years ago. Things aren't even what they were like 10 years ago when I started as a minister. And we can even think about this from an individual perspective. We simply live in a more complicated world. You know, questions of what it means to be a faithful Christian are a lot different when all of your neighbors are also Christian. But what happens when you live in a community where folks are Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu? Or what happens if the people you are neighbors with don't go to church at all? What does it mean then to be a Christian in that kind of community where you can't presuppose that everybody is just like you? Because we live in a world now where in West Lafayette, Lafayette is a great example. People who are different than us live here, bring different perspectives, different ideas, and what it means to be a Christian, what it used to mean to be a Christian is probably going to have to change. The answers to questions we have had about faith, about what it means to be a neighbor would have to be different. That means that some things that we hold dear would have to change, that there will need to be some pruning. And that's okay, because we have an entire book of God pruning God's people. If you want good growth, then you've got to cut some things back. And this is, of course, an act of faith. It requires us to relinquish some control to let go of some things. We can't have all of the answers. We can only let go and let God do what God will do. But what we know is that our God is good, our God is faithful, and our God has brought life out of death more than once. So during this season, I wonder, what do you need to let go of? What needs, what needs pruning? Let's get ready for the new growth God intends for us. Because I know that as I cut back the grasses in my garden, those wild plants that sprung up when I wasn't looking, I know that as I lay down the newspaper and cover it with mulch so it doesn't come back, that it's all because there will one day be new growth in that place. Let us pray. Oh, holy and gracious God, as we gather today in this place, we pray that you might continue to work in our hearts to prepare us to be folks who are ready to let your good news take root in us. We pray that as we worship together, we might continue to seek out those ways in which we can let go of parts of us that have grown wild and instead help germinate and fertilize and bring about the positive, powerful emboldening change that you intend for us. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we stand together and sing a couple of songs.